2: Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always by my co-host, Nick Pilato. As we move forward with our position previews for the 2022 NFL Draft, just to give a little heads up, in addition to these previews, we've done wide receiver, tight end. We're doing running back today. Obviously, you read the title to this podcast. You saw it. We're going to do interior offensive line. We're going to do offensive tackles. Then we're going to hit the defense. We're also going to be having a lot of guests on in the coming days. We will have Eric Crocker again. Some technical difficulties. He was supposed to join us last week. No worries. He's back in the fray. Those of you who remember was one of the, for at least from your standpoint, from what you told us or you told me at least. I can't speak for Nick, but one of the most downloaded and listened to podcasts as well, one of the most enjoyed podcasts. Crocker will break down the defensive backs with us. He's a former defensive back himself, 49ers, Jets. We're also going to have Ryan Wilson. From CBS Sports. Ryan Wilson joined us last year as well. He's going to break down his seven round dra- mock draft and all the players he mocked to the Giants. He's going to also break down what he's hearing. He's an insider on the NFL draft from CBS Sports. We're going to have Elliot Christ on this week as well. Elliot will do what he did last year talk to us about his favorite bets on the draft. You guys said you loved it last year, made some money off of Elliot's picks. Well, he's got more player props to pick in this nfl draft that he loves so you'll get on that you'll make some money there you'll be able to watch along and be interested when the giants aren't on the board then finally we are also going to have a special guest on making his first appearance on the big blue banter podcast and that is cy from bbi well it's actually from our lads but i know him from bbi that's david cyberstein hope i pronounced that last name right i'm really excited to get his take on the nfl draft and on the giants picks because In my opinion, he does an excellent job of independent analysis on the draft. He doesn't – a lot of what he – a lot of his beliefs are not consensus beliefs. I feel like he is a clear example of somebody who does the legwork and comes up with interesting ideas and takes on the drafts. So I'm excited to hear some of his takes. We've had some conversations already about some of these players, so I'm excited to hear what he has to say. So that will be coming this week. We're also going to eventually get to some other things that are on the docket. won't tip them all off, but one thing I know you guys love and want is the – Seven round giant specific only mock draft, which I will do my own with a mock draft simulator, and Nick will do his own and we'll go over those. But before we get into the running back preview, Nick, how was your weekend? I did end up playing tennis for the first time since I moved to Arizona. How'd it go?
1: It was fun, man. I started getting my serve down, and it was it brings it out of you, man. You know, the competitive juices start coming out of you, but I'm playing against you know my girlfriend (laughs) and we're just trying to have a good time and everything and you you know how uh, competitive i can get sometimes
2: oh i'm sure you better you got to hone it in with diana because she's not a big i sorry to drop the name i don't know if we ever do names on here can be edited out if need be but look i know diana i know her well enough or i should say i know your girlfriend well enough to know that she's not a big fan of competitive nick so i hope you toned it down
1: I did, I did. It was a good time, though. I love okay. uh, getting out there
2: and playing some tennis. All right. Did you let her win, or did you still try to win? No, I definitely still tried to win, and I won both. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I understand. I'm actually going to get my tennis season started this Friday with a with a competitive match against my best friend. We have played I don't know, thousand, no, wait, over a thousand sets in our lifetime, and so it's a big one. We're both disgustingly competitive. And it means a lot to both of us just to win this match. So first match out Friday of the new season. I'm excited. It's going to be like 70 and sunny. I went golfing with my brother and my uncle and my uh, and my cousin just before Passover S- Seder on Saturday, which was fun as well because we usually have, uh, well, it was different because and it was fun in its own way. We usually actually have two avid listeners and award-winning listeners of the Big Blue Banter podcast, my uncle Steve and cousin Ari at the Seder. But they had other plans. Ari was with his other family, and my Uncle Steve was visiting my cousin Rachel and and, uh, and Joe, her husband, and the two babies out in Minnesota. So without Uncle Steve there, we were kind of at a loss at the Seder. No one had ever led a Seder other than Uncle Steve. So my dad and my Uncle Gary, not very religious people. Neither myself or anyone else, really, who was at that Seder. So we had to kind of free ball the Seder. We did read the four questions. We did get to Dianu, which is the most important part, I think, of any Seder, uh, for those of my Jewish friends listening to the podcast. But it was definitely interesting. And you were missed, Uncle Steve, if you're listening into this show. And I don't think you miss a pod, so you probably will hear this. You were missed because we didn't exactly have a by-the-book Seder. Some even mentioned it might have been a little sacrilegious at times. Took a little freedom's uh with regards to the four questions reading some way through that seder, but again it ended very strong with a group dianu so as long as you get the dianu and i feel like you did well at a seder. i don't know about you nick but you probably have no idea what i'm talking about
1: Nah, nah, i can't say i'm too well versed
2: there's other good things coming back by the way for those of you who are in the universe get ready better call saul the final season has arrived tonight actually we're recording this on a monday so i'm extremely excited to see how that goes because i just rewatch the most recent season and the last three episodes are just f- straight out breaking bad level good like break not even just like the crap break there's people forget but there's some bad breaking bad there's some slow early breaking bad and there's some slow stuff even toward the like not obviously the final season but in the second to last season but this is like peak breaking bad those last three episodes of the most recent Saul season so I cannot wait to find out what happens there Nick are you onto the Saul bandwagon yet I am not onto
1: the Saul bandwagon, but I've heard from a lot of people that I need to get on that bandwagon.
2: All right, well, you do. You definitely do. As somebody who's a fan of Breaking Bad, you have a lot of things you need to watch. Though, so I don't really know where to start with you. Um, and I'm just happy enough to know that you're 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 watching Curb Your Enthusiasm and you're and you're finally catching up on the most recent season. So that that made me happy.
1: Yeah, Curb Your Enthusiasm is excellent. Yeah, I've never seen Star Wars. I haven't seen a lot of things, dude. I'm I'm behind. I'm a little bit behind.
2: Yep, you are. And you and look. To, to be fair, though, I, I do I do appreciate at least your willingness to, to get into it and to, and to explore new things when it comes to the TV realm. But let's, you know, we got to get into this because we have a lot to talk about at the running back position. So I don't want to really waste any more time with the preamble that I know some of you enjoy. Others don't. Eh, whatever. For those who don't, going to have to deal with it. But look, we're going to get to the running backs. It's a really interesting position in this class. We're going to get to the players. We're going to do what we do, our top five. And by the way, once again, me and Nick with a very different top five at this position. Tight end wasn't as different as I thought. We ended up having, I think, two of the same names in our top five, three of the same names. This one, I look at it now, and besides the big two and the guy we already did, a pro, the big two plus the guy we already ready to profile on, we love. We have two different names there. And And Nick has a name in his top five who I have a very scorching hot take on coming later in this podcast. It's going to be real hot. It's going to be maybe embarrassing as we look back, Nick, and I hope not. Or maybe it ends up being correct, and then I'll just use it as, you know, my victory lap. I, take, I tend to take victory laps, people tell me, but I don't notice it. So maybe that's something I have to speak of with a therapist or something like that. I also have a l- less hot take, Nick, coming on a sleeper I love who we haven't talked about at all, and I just see no buzz whatsoever on. And so we'll talk about him, and I'm curious to see if you've seen him at all. And if not, maybe you can take a look and let me know if I'm crazy. But before we do that, I want to do an overview position because it's important. I want to talk about a few things with you, Nick. I want to start by talking about where the Giants are at at the running back position. Then I want to talk about where NFL teams are at as far as approaching the running back position via the draft, where they should be, and how the position has kind of changed in the minds of NFL evaluators and, and how we evaluate where the Giants should go with it. So let's start with... Your take on where the Giants are at from a roster standpoint at running back.
1: Yeah, so the New York Giants right now selected sixth round last year. Gary Brightwell, he's on the roster. Was that a special teams addition or somebody that the former regime thought they could extract a lot of value out of at that pick? I guess that remains to be seen, and I don't even know if he'll ever get a shot. But obviously you have Saquon Barkley, who's now on the roster right now. With the New York Giants last year, he's on his fifth year option, more than likely will not be retained. And I'm not sure if he'll be traded. I think that's still up in the air and depends on the value that the Giants would receive back in a trade for Saquon Barkley. You look at the rest of the position. They added Antonio Williams. They added Matt Breida, both guys who used to be in Buffalo with Brian Dable. It's not necessarily a strength of the roster right now, especially if Saquon Barkley is not there. And I think that's one reason why we've seen the Giants bring in top 30 visits to Isaiah Spiller, to James Cook, and to, I uh, believe there was another, Brees Hall, they had the Iowa State running back. So I think they're looking to really add maybe a round three to round four or five type of running back to bring on and possibly be the future of the running back position, because I don't think this new regime is going to want to retain Saquon Barkley.
2: Yeah, it's really interesting to see where they're going to go because they've kind of told two different stories, I think, with their approach this offseason. The first is we're not going to repeat mistakes. I'm going to call them mistakes of the past. Instead of going out and immediately signing a second-tier running back to a multi-year deal with guaranteed money like the Giants did two years ago with Devontae Booker, a player who ultimately was successful, but again, how successful? That remains to be you know debated because... Did he just get what was there for him? I know he was a very pro-ready running back, but was that in comparison or viewed in a prism versus what we were getting from Saquon Barkley, which quite frankly, based on film, wasn't good in 2021. It was not good play independent of his blocking. And that's at times why it looked like Booker was more successful to me, at least. And the new regime said, yeah, that's how we see it when they decided to cut him and take on a dead cap hit and then sign Matt Breida to a one-year deal with almost no guaranteed money. And so it showed this change to me, the changing of, it showed a sign of the changing of the times, Nick, because this is now a regime that's looking to do things like sign a one-year deal without a lot of guaranteed instead of tie themselves to a player like Booker on a multi-year deal. And then they went out and did the same thing with the other back you mentioned, who they have a little bit of an eye on from Buffalo days. Maybe they see something that, could be unlocked. It's possible he doesn't make the roster, but he could be someone who makes the roster over Gary Brightwell type because there's familiarity, because they feel like there's more juice as an actual runner and they can rely on other players to give them the special teams that they need, which was bright. what Brightwell was mostly drafted for, it seems like. And so you also factor in that Saquon Barkley's on his fi- on the final year of his deal. And while me to me and you, Nick, it seems like it's a foregone conclusion that Barkley will not be a Giant after this year, We should probably take a step back and consider if that's the actual reality of the situation, because while Shane, the new GM, obviously has gone through a different process with Buffalo, where they're just kind of signed drafting mid 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 round guys at the running back position and trying to committee there and then kind of finding diamonds in the rough like Brito last year. He doesn't really run this franchise fully. I mean, there is an owner here, right, Nick? And that owner loves Saquon Barkley. John Mara is on record as loving Saquon Barkley to the point where even earlier this offseason, it's like, no, we're not trading him. That's not real. And Shane kind of confirmed that he loves what he does for him off the field. That's for sure. He still sells credible amounts of jerseys. Still a really good face of the franchise. Really good person, Saquon Barkley. You listen to him interview. You see some of the stuff he's done off the field and the impact he's made on some of young people's lives, some young, you know, young fans' lives. It's all good from that standpoint. And so I'm not so sure that Saquon Barkley. Is in his final year with the Giants. I'm curious to get your take on that. If the viewpoint in your mind of where we're at, which is like it's a foregone conclusion based on the logic behind it, and the you know, and the logic does tell you you should this should be it. I mean, it's not even just the idea of paying the running back position, which me and Nick are not big fans of. It's the injury history here, man. It's 100% the injury history. It's a lot of injuries. I I spoke with a doctor earlier this season. I forgot who now on Twitter who kind of outlined it, Nick, and he he showed it, and it's like an alarming rate of injuries since 2019. Three of to the exact same area of his body, two that might've been compensating for that area of his body. And then not only the ACL tear, but at the exact same time, the P it was the, the PCL or the MCL had to be reconstructed and it was torn. And it's just a lot. It's a lot of injuries there. That's really the reason I have no interest in re-signing Barkley if I'm going to get down to it, but I'm curious if you feel like the giants may view this differently than we do. It's also a lot of injuries for somebody whose
1: best attribute is his athletic ability. So that's, I think, a whole right. other thing yeah. that you have to factor in with Saquon Barkley. I think a lot of it's going to come down to what the Giants do in this draft. If they spend a third-round pick on a running back, I don't think Saquon Barkley is going to be retained. I think you make a lot of good points about John Mara. John Mara ultimately is in charge of this franchise, and he does love Saquon Barkley. But I think if Joe Shane is like, we we don't think it's wise to allocate this much money to the running back position, I think John Mara is going to listen to him. Now, if Saquon Barkley balls out this year, that's where it gets interesting. If he balls out, he's probably going to demand a Christian McCaffrey type of contract, something that's going to reset the market. I don't think the Giants are in any position to give him that, dude. I, I, I think it's over after this year, but I do leave that sliver of a chance that John Mara kind of strong fists his way into retaining him. I I, I do think John Mara realizes that he can't do things like that with this new regime, though. And I, maybe I'm just being a glass half full type of dude right here. I hope he doesn't do that, but that that's kind of where I'm at.
2: Yeah, I think that's totally fair. And it's interesting because if he does ball out Nick and looks like old Saquon Barkley and makes it through the whole year, let's say, I think it'll all the injury concerns and in all the time missed with injuries and all the actual struggles behind the line of scrimmage and all the stats that were like, the advanced stats were showing that, wait a second, Booker was actually more effective than Barkley behind the same offensive line all that will literally be thrown out the window when it comes to contract negotiations. That's how I've seen it. I mean, you could argue against this, but look at NFL history. This seems to be the case. I mean, you look at even even a player like Debo Samuel right now, right, who's holding out for uh, and not showing up to voluntary workouts, wants to be the highest paid receiver in the NFL, wants to be a, a kind of a trend-setting contract to the point where he's like, look, I'm a running back and a receiver. Pay me like I play both positions. It seems like everyone's forgetting that this dude was injured and has serious injury concerns that date back to his college career. And yes, he made it through last season pretty much healthy. He had one minor injury that he missed maybe a week on or played on. But his injury history is really scary, and it's like completely forgotten within these these contract negotiations and will be forgotten by either the Niners or whoever they trade him to that's willing to pay him if that was ultimately what happens, a a la the Tyree kill, a la the Devontae Adams situation. So to me, that will be thrown out, and you will get to the point where, he will be demanding that kind of money. He'll be maybe getting it if he comes off that kind of season from not from the Giants, from but maybe from another team, Nick. And I don't want to bank on this idea that, well, at least the consolation is the Giants can get a compensatory 2023 draft pick back, or 2024 draft pick back, a third rounder, because the Giants are going to have almost 100 million cap space next year, more if they move on from Daniel Jones. And. Ultimately, they're going to be players in free agency. We know they don't want to be big time players in free agency under Shane, at least until they're ready. But they're going to sign enough contracts there to the point where that will be negated, potentially, that Barkley pick. So to me, if he starts to ball out and the Giants are not winning games, let's say we get to week five or so and the Giants are one and four. But Barkley looks like his old self. That's when I really will be interested in trading him at the trade deadline, because I think the the idea of the story pick is, is is actually just it, it's not going to happen.
1: I think that's an excellent point that you make too, Dan. If there's a big injury in training camp and if a team is desperate and they, they, they feel like they're a winning type of franchise right now and a big running back goes down, maybe they call the New York Giants about Saquon Barkley because they understand the contract situation. I think that's something else that could play out. But that's all post-draft. That's all going to be something that happens you know, early August, late July or something like that.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I want to get to your take now, Nick, on... Your viewpoint on the running back position, if you're a general manager, let's say, for this exercise, you're a GM. How do you approach running back moving forward as far as your roster construction goes? Do you feel like there's a chance that maybe the pendulum has swung too far in the direction of don't draft these guys? The position has no value to the point where there is value as you go through each round? Because that's how I was going through each round, Nick. I, I looked at some of these rounds, and I'm like – yeah, like even if one of my top three guys is here, I'm I'm not sure if it's one of my top five guys Am I even want to take him at this pick when I know there's good interior offensive linemen I can take here still left on the board. And I kind of kept going through that and I was like, kind of up in the air and skeptical and it it felt almost sketchy to me like do I even want a running back here despite the fact that these guys are good talents and so how do you go about now if you're trying to field the roster finding this position because it's still a valuable position in the sense that like these guys are make a lot of plays they have a chance to make explosive plays if you draft the right ones of them and as I was like listening to uh, I believe it was a Greg Cosell podcast recently that he made a good point while we are believers, and I know you are too, Nick, that's why I can say we in this, in the passing game as king in the NFL, you can't not have a run game. You have to have some version of a run game, and you have to have the best offenses are the offenses that don't rely on the run, uh, their pass game to set up their run game or the run game to set up the pass game. It's the ones that kind of work in unison and can get either going at any point. So where do you personally stand on how to build out a roster at the running back position?
1: I'm not opposed to like day two running backs. Ideally, I don't think I would want to take a running back in round one, but I think a lot of this also comes down to my roster concern. Like if I'm the New York Giants right now, if I'm the Giants general manager – I'm probably not entertaining running back until the third round. And even then, I would have to see who else is on the board. I'm not necessarily on the far end of the spectrum, though, Dan, where people are like, running backs don't matter at all. Don't draft them. You know, you can find an undrafted guy. I think running backs still matter for all the things that you said and the little nuances of the position. But I'm not necessarily willing to allocate a round one pick. Like, let's look even last year. There were two round one running backs. You had Travis Etienne. He injured his foot. Don't want to knock him, but I think it's safe to say the Jags weren't really in a position to spend a first-round pick on the running back. And the second one was Najee Harris, who had a gigantic workload, and the offense ran through him because Big Ben was really, really old at that point. But at the same time, he was still wildly inefficient because the offense still sucked. So was that really worth the first-round pick either? I, I like Najee Harris as a prospect, but I don't know if that was what they needed. They thought it was going to be a marketable upgrade over James Conner, but was it?
2: Yeah. Not only do they think he's going to be a marketable upgrade over Conner, was it? They felt like that could be the last piece to unlock that offense. Right. And it wasn't because that offense didn't move the ball again, really consistently last year. And was the real reason why they didn't move it anywhere. and didn't go anywhere in the playoffs because of that offense. And as they move forward, it's like they pounded him for 300 touches. He barely came off the field and that's going to be the case for his first four years. Then what, then you have a one contract pick in the first round that's not what you want or you resign that player with all that tread on his tire that's not what you want either so you really put yourself in a tough position when you draft this position in my mind in the first round if i'm building out of a roster i would have a rule no first round running backs i can't see any that come to mind that would make me change my opinion on that i would change my mind a bit in the second round if there's the outliers the outliers to me is look jonathan taylor was incredible in wisconsin and he ran an insane 040 time for his size. His size-speed combo was incredibly rare. Now, some people said, okay, otherwise this would be a clear top prospect, but he can't catch the ball, and we have issues with his pass reduction and his third down passing on Ushins. Well, the reality was he just wasn't used that way at Wisconsin. The Colts have used him in the passing game. He's been fine. He's actually been, by the metrics, efficient in the passing game. So if there's another prospect like that who's a size speed freak with the tackle breaking ability, with the force tackle, with the insane vision and nuances and processing that a prospect like Taylor had, and he's sitting on the board where the Colts took him in the middle of that second round, that's when I can be convinced because it's like at that point, the value is he can add enough to your offense that, you know, even if you put yourself in this position of what are you going to do after his first contract, It's fine to get those four years when you're at a range of the draft where sometimes you just don't even get contributors for one year. In my opinion, you can get bust or you get like mid-level type starters, Nick, I guess I would say, or like adequate guys who are okay, might be able to start for you for a few years but kind of get washed out. Then I can take the unbelievable starter at a non-premium position for four years type of thing and move on or look to trade him or look to get the compensatory pick back after his contract runs out. I still wouldn't think I would sign him long-term, but those are kind of my only day two options for me. If it gets past that and there's not that level talent, I'm really looking to day three for my running backs or day three or late day two. I think especially if you're... Identity as a
1: football team is to run the football like a Derrick Henry and like a Jonathan Taylor. Because, yeah, you're going to have the offensive line and the infrastructure in place to maximize that day three pick. But at the same time, if you use that day two pick, that second round pick on the ideal fit, then that's just going to make your strength even stronger. And I feel like we've seen that with Tennessee and Indianapolis. But I have a question for you, Dan. If Saquon Barkley fell to the second round, I'd, would you- off,
2: I'd offer a little pushback on that first. And I want to get to your hypothetical because it's a fun one. I already hear it and I already know. But I would offer a little pushback on that, Nick. Because I do think the 49ers are a great example of the opposite of that, which is they have the infrastructure and they want to, their, their entire offense is predicated on their run game. They practice it insanely well. And they've kind of proven that their run game, and, and obviously, you know, the, it goes back to his father, Kyle Shanahan's father. Obviously, Mike Shanahan proved the exact same thing with Terrell Davis and Terrell Davis and a lot of those other backs there. I'm forgetting some of the names of some of those backs that went through that Broncos system. But they're kind of proving in San Fran it's more based on what we teach and practice how often we're practicing it this is something that gets lost a lot in nfl development and for these nfl teams some teams practice the run game more than others and the 49ers are an example of that and they have a very unique run game that they practice and it has to be practiced for these things to work because there's so many components in my mind that go into a running play that have to be or there's so many players that have to be moving in the same speed and with the same continuity on a run play versus a pass play that can often just be a one-on-one backside receiver that beats his one-on-one guy, and now you have a big play in the past.
1: You're talking about the anomaly, though, with the San Francisco 49ers. Like, they're definitely predicated on rushing the football, but Kyle Shanahan is a lot different than what the Indianapolis Colts and the Tennessee Titans are doing. The Tennessee Titans, their rushing attack runs through Derrick Henry. They have a good offensive line. Their identity is to pound the rock, but having that 250-pound dude who's 6'3", the vision of a smaller back enhances the team that was just the first seed, even though I feel like it was a little fugazi in the AFC. I think the 49ers kind of buck the trend, but they're more of an anomaly than anything else.
2: I don't, I don't deny that. And I think, you know, those teams need those players that, and those are more power-based power and gap-based running attacks. But as far as what the 49ers have done, in my mind, it's like the Vikings are another good example of this with Clint Kubiak uh, when he was running that offense. And it's like, yeah, Dalvin Cook was there and it looked great. But when Cook was out, Madison looked pretty damn good too. And when Madison was out, Mike Boone looked pretty damn good too. And I feel like if you 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 can also create these rushing attacks that are practice and and specifically it is really that specific scheme that's the one that that seems to be the one that you can draft non-value. You know, you can draft lower guys like they found Elijah, Elijah Mitchell in the sixth round of last year's draft, right? It was the fifth or sixth round. Incredible stuff right there. And yes, they did trade a few picks for Trey Sermon, who hasn't exactly worked out as they had planned or hoped, but they found a sixth rounder come out of nowhere, and they've been doing that for a while. And I agree it is more of an outlier to some degree, but You've, I think the case would be the same in Minnesota if they didn't have Dalvin Cook. It's just how I feel about what, I, what I've seen from that running attack. And, and really a lot of these attacks in my mind that have gone that route in the past, like Houston when they had Kubiak, uh, one, exa- one other example that comes to mind, uh, the Chiefs in the past. So so I don't know. I feel like it, it can go both ways. I know what you're saying as well. Those team, the teams like the Titans and Colts certainly need it, those power gap-based teams. Um, certainly needed, and they're also benefiting from the the big time offensive lineman they have on that line too, like a Quentin Nelson.
1: And San Francisco too is just wild, just because like Kyle Usechek is a huge part of what they do. No one like thinks of that or talks about that. Obviously George Kittle being the blocking tight end, and the receiving threat that's huge, and the fact that they use a lot of twelve personnel and twenty two personnel. But Usechek being that lead blocker, kind of like a tight end, but he's definitely more of a fullback. But he's also a receiving threat. I feel like he is a crucial part to what Kyle Shanahan wants to do, and he always needs that type of player to be that quote-unquote fullback, which is kind of a position that's dead all throughout the NFL, except there in San Francisco. At least that's what it seems like. I'm sure the teams like the Titans also use them, but it's not necessarily as big of an impact player as I feel like use check really is for Shanahan's offense.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
2: Yeah, and I've heard Shannon. I've heard Shannon talk in the past about Ushek's Yusek, value to him, and he to, he said he's one of the most valuable players on the roster that no one realizes how valuable he actually is because what he offers him is scheme versatility. What he offers him is play calling versatility because he can be used, like you said, as a receiver, which changes so much for Shanahan as Shanahan was saying in his ability to scheme because. He knows that that player has to be accounted for in the run game and the pass game every time he's on the field rather than, you know, an Evan Ingram type. Let's just use that example, different position. But at times people are like, why don't you move uh, Ingram to H back? Because he can't really, you know, hold up on the end of the line of scrimmage. Well, it's like if even if he is at H back, they're still really not any way he can help you in the run game <laughs> to be completely, completely honest. <laughs> so it's like, he's still only really a one way player when he's on the field. So it's interesting. I also think the Baltimore Ravens are a good example. That yes. running game still stayed really strong last year without, having Dobbins on the field, and they even found guys like Devontae Freeman who are washed up out of the NFL. And, yes, I said Devontae because that's how he pronounces his name, despite the fact that Nick would call him Devonta. <laughs> and he had some success there, too, and looked pretty efficient. Same for even Latavius Murray, who was cut by the Saints. Looked a little washed to me with New Orleans and kind of found some success there. Even that dude who was like a spark plug from the beginning of the season then got hurt, that undrafted guy who now I'm forgetting who was on all of our fantasy rosters.
1: The thing about the Ravens that are, yeah. are unique is just Lamar Jackson, who yep. adds a totally different exactly. element to that rushing attack. That's but you're right. It works so
2: well.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, Greg Roman d- does a great job with that. And Freeman looked pretty good to his credit. He looked like he had some more juice than, than I thought Devonta Freeman would would have. Well, yeah, really he
2: really looked like he had juice with the Giants, too, the season before. He's like, oh, yeah, no, guys, I, who still has juice somehow.
1: Yeah, I didn't think he was bad with the New York Giants. And I remember when he was with the Falcons, bro. That dude was a that dude was a bowling ball. <laughs> oh, man.
2: You Guys got juice.
1: championships. Isn't that crazy?
2: I know he's a juice guy. Um, you know, there's a pl- player we're going to talk about who kind of reminds me in some ways of him, which we're going to talk about later. But let's get into it because people want to hear about these 2022 draft prospects. And I want to talk about them as well. So let's go over our top five of the position. Me and Nick have the exact same top two here. And I do think there's a little tier drop off after them. So let's get into them.
1: Yeah, see, that's what I actually wanted to start with. You read my mind here, Dan. I was gonna say our top two. I'll just get it out of the way for both of us is Brees Hall from Iowa State and Kenneth Walker the third from Michigan State. Again, how big is the drop off for you from those two down to the, your number three, and how much higher do you have Hall over Walker? Because I feel like those two prospects are different. They're similarly built. Walker's a little bit shorter, but they're they have different types of play styles.
2: So different. Those two prospects are just so freaking different, and. I, it's a really great question. So as for let me answer both of them first. And I want to get to your take on this. Cause I'm curious to see how you view it. My first thing would be overall, there is a big drop off to three, but my three in my mind can be a unique weapon that helps your offense in such a, in such a big way that, that it's like less of a drop off when you take out the kind of who is your best overall running back. Like if I'm just ranking these guys, like by, You know These are the best running backs overall with what they have to offer. There is a big drop-off, but considering how I feel the the third guy can be used within an offense, even if that means he's not on the field for every snap, but he's on the field for a lot of snaps, I still feel like he's going to be really effective on those snaps, so less of a drop-off. And we'll get to that, but let's first, when we talk about that player, but let me first talk about these two players because you asked about them. Like you said, not far drop-off for me between Hall and Walker, though I do have Hall first. But totally different prospects. For Hall, for me, I just, when you watch him, his vision and his patience as a runner are so awesome. He's so smooth. I said it when I watched him first. He reminded me of Arian Foster. That's the back I'm sticking with. When I watched Arian Foster have success with the Houston Texans, it was his ability to kind of get in and out of those cuts with his feet. Very little wasted movement. Very smooth in that regard. I do think Hall is best fit for the Kubiak Shanahan style outside, you know the that run scheme, and I hope one of those teams drafts him to maximize him. To be completely honest, if the Vikings get him and move on from Dalvin Cook, so I can see him in Minnesota, that would be fun, or the Dolphins, that would be fun. Now that they have Mike McDaniel there, but I think he can win in every and and in, in any scheme. I don't think he needs it. I just think that will maximize him, and then you watch him as a receiver, and that's really where I think he'll make his mark and he'll make and win his, you know, that'll be his breadwinner at the next level His receiving ability. I think he can be a weapon in the passing game hall. I think he's someone who can be used on a variety of different routes, ultimately, not just the wheel and not just the things you see kind of like from every running back when you watch their highlight tape coming into the NFL. So I think his receiving ability and that unique ability to run with patience and vision that get in and out of his cuts, stop and start like an Aaron Foster. That's why he's my number one overall. But Kenneth Walker has the the thing that usually translates, to be honest. Like what I just said, I've seen running backs bust with that trait, with the vision and the patience and the footwork. But what I haven't seen them bust with too often is the tackle breaking ability. And I think Kenneth Walker has that in spades. I think he, in my mind, translates to the next level, at least as the potential best tackle breaker in this class. And that ability to create after contact, I think he actually led all of college football, actually, according to PFF, with 89 broken tackles this past season. He had 20 in one game against Miami, which is a funny stat. And that ability to create yards after contact is super important to me. Not only is it important to me to create after contact, it's 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 important to me to create missed tackles before contact, which I think he does a pretty good job of as well. So they're different prospects for sure. I think Kenneth Walker might even be a better fit for what the Giants want to do as an offense. But to me, Hall's my my one slightly over Walker. What are your takes on these two prospects?
1: Oh, it's so slight, the Hall to Walker. If Walker had a more proven track record of being a receiver, I would have him over Brees Hall to be honest. But it's just not there. It's not something we saw that much of. And I don't necessarily know if that's a Jonathan Taylor situation or, or what, or maybe he's just not that great of a receiver. Since it's not on film, I had to rank Brees Hall over him. But dude, you watch Walker and you expect, you know, this guy's like 5'11", 220 pounds. You expect him just to be this thumper, you know, this plotter, this first, second down dude is just going to run over people. And he's not that at all, dude. He is... Very, very light on his feet, bro. I don't know if you watched the Nebraska game, but Kenneth Walker had this run against Nebraska that went for a touchdown where it was a counter run and there was nothing there. So he bounced it to the backside and he literally like wiggled his way and bent his way around like two defenders while breaking a tackle. And then he's running into the end zone at around the 10 yard line and a safety comes to hit him and he just runs the dude over <laughs> and scores a touchdown. You watch his tape. He has a lot of plays like that. That's Kenneth Walker from Michigan State. So I have Hall higher. I Everything you said about Hall is true. When you watch his TCU tape, it's just ridiculous how many missed tackles that he had. Granted, the blocking, was there for him on a lot of plays, but he's you know he has very, very good vision. He can pass protect. I don't feel like he's great at pass protection. Brees Hall. He has that three down upside. I think Kenneth Walker could possess that. We just didn't see it enough. Right. And I want to put Walker over Hall, but I, I ultimately have Hall over Walker. But dude, I'm telling you, I think Walker can, if he can prove to be a, a good receiver in the NFL, dude, that this guy and his dancing ability and his change of direction, how light he is on his feet and how we can make linebackers miss in a phone booth, like in the a gap. Yeah, It's just wild how he was able to do that on film.
2: And that's the key there. It's like that lightness on feet combined with his size, is what makes him such a tackle breaker. What makes him so hard so to to get down and what allows him to create so much after contact and creating after contact is the stickiest stat for running backs. they at least, you know what, the, as what they've seen over the last decade, it's the stickiest stat. It's the one you want to follow. I think it gives him the highest floor in this class, but just watching hall to me, he's a little more looks to me a little bit more like a special runner with the vision. It's it's to me, it's more the traits you can't tell. It's like, as they get to the NFL, the processing and the vision and the cutback ability, those things you're never going to see show up when they run the 40 yard dash or when they jump their explosion drills or do the three cone. Um, and those things are, are ultimately a little bit harder to translate. But at the same time, I feel like I'm willing to make that bet on Hall. I like both prospects, though, for sure, in this class. And I think they represent the two top ones
1: with with Hall, too. You you brought up the, the 40. He did run a four, three, nine. I didn't necessarily think he was that fast on I agree with that by the way okay you you agree that another thing just about Walker just because we talked a lot about the missed tackles he had over a thousand yards after contact this year like that's (laughs) like you led the FBS in yards after contact over a thousand yards that's really really eye-popping
2: and one more thing on Hall because I do agree with that doesn't have the deep speed that he tested at though everybody seemed to run faster than they should have at that combine for whatever reason whatever's going on with that new Indianapolis turf I will say this while I did mention Walker is having a nation leading 89 missed force, missed tackles. Hall was 74. He wasn't too far behind. There's only 15 fewer. Um, so it's not like he can't do that.
1: No, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I like Hall too. It's just, uh, I don't oh, yeah, know. No. Walker's, I feel like Walker's film was more exciting if that makes It sense.
2: was definitely more exciting film. He's not, he's a way more exciting prospect if you're just going by that, that metric, which I get. All right, let's go to your RB3, Nick, because this is where my first hot take comes. Maybe my hottest take in the draft season we're going to have to we have to let it sizzle and obviously you're not going to agree with it so you can you can throw it down if you want i get it let's go
1: i actually get where your concerns come from with Isaiah Spiller out of Texas a&m now he ever since he ran the slow forty i feel like a lot so that's more that's your
2: than, rb3 correct yeah
1: that's my running back three i feel like a lot of people are kind of backing up off of him a little bit cuz he ran like a four, six forty. i don't know what texas a&m was doing i don't know cuz jalen Widemeyer ran like a 5 i don't think demarvin leal looked great like they're their pro day stats are not looking well. If I'm a recruit, I'm probably not going to Texas A&M because they're not showcasing the talents of their guys that much. But I didn't really feel like Spiller was necessarily a burner, anyways. He's my number three. What I like about Spiller is he's a solid sized. He's about six foot, two hundred seventeen pounds, one cut type of back, and I felt like he set his blocks up pretty well. Possesses good balance, contact balance. I didn't love. The, the fumbling. He had six fumbles in college. That's something that I'm a little concerned about him. But similar to Hall, I would say Hall is better. I felt like he allowed blocks to develop. He showed really good patience in that way. And he also had the vision to kind of anticipate his path. Like say he had to hit the C gap. He was following the C gap because on these outside zone runs, and this is the big 12, basically everybody's doing an RPO or an outside zone type of run. That C gap is stagnant before the snap. But then after the snap, it's not, especially the tight ends there. It's going to expand and widen. I felt like Spiller did a good job knowing where his landmark was and then hitting it and while also reacting to those second-level defenders who were flowing over the top and then using that one cut ability to explode into any cutback lane that would end up materializing. I thought he had quick and decisive footwork as well. I like him. I don't love him, but I do have him as my third running back.
2: Okay, now let me get into my take here, Nick, and we can discuss. So I want to start by saying – the things I liked about Spiller. Okay. So the things yep. I liked are a lot of what you just went over. I think that he does a really good job processing, especially with behind the running back, behind the blocking scheme that he ran behind at AM. He has a lot of professional traits already to his game. He had an arrow route he ran against Arkansas in the game I saw that was really well ran. I mean, that this was a this was almost a perfect route. He he the way he made the cut to get it, you know, to get into the route, it it, it left the linebacker in a position where he couldn't follow him and he couldn't track him and he couldn't get to him so he does a lot of those things well i however would have an undrafted grade on isaiah spiller if i was doing this i would have an undrafted udfa grade on him now keep in mind that also factors in the running back position where it's so devalued at this point where you know your rb 10 in any given class could be a udfa grade to be honest i i I have to take a look back i want to do this before the show but it's too bad radio now and we're and we're too late Um, but I wanted to find out like how many running backs were selected before the seventh round last year. So I would, I would put like a seventh slash UDFA on a player like Spiller. I wouldn't use a six round pick on him. And so for me, the issue with Spiller is not what he does right now. He does have some professional level traits. He does play the position really well for me. It's purely that I do not think he has the athleticism to play at the NFL level. I think the jump will be way too big for him and I don't think he's making it. I don't so far this draft season, Nick, and throughout the last few classes, since we started doing this seriously for the podcast and I had done some running, i had really started studying the running back and receiver positions for a while now, probably close to a decade. I haven't seen a slower running back uh, from a long striding from a stride and long distance standpoint ever. I honestly felt like I was watching an injured player. When I watched Isaiah Spiller, there are some long runs that he, that he, that he makes that are just insanely slow from a long speed standpoint. and, Then, obviously, it was backed up by the 40, which I don't care about. It's what I see on film. And there's also some times in space where he just has no lateral agility whatsoever. And this is at the collegiate level. So if you don't have those two traits at the collegiate level, I don't see, in my mind at least, how you're going to be an NFL player. And it's backed up by his testing. I mean, his vertical jump in the 7th percentile, his broad jump in the 22nd percentile. This is not athleticism that translates and obviously the 40 time was bad and you could see it on film i mean you'd watch this guy on some of these these longer runs that are blocked up well for him or that he makes a great cutback on that's when i'd want to give him credit on you're right he decides to pick the right lane a lot of times he processes really well but then once he's in the open field it's just i feel like i'm watching a guy running through i really thought he was injured and i looked it up and i didn't see any crazy injuries that he was dealing with i felt like i was watching an injured player and I, it's just purely the athleticism thing for me. I do not at all see him translating from a lateral agility and from a speed standpoint to the next level. Did you
1: watch the Lobos game and the Arkansas game?
2: I saw the Arkansas. I did not see the new Mexico. I did not see the first one.
1: Yeah. So those were early in the season, week three and week four. I don't know, man. There were a couple runs. I saw both of those games. There was one that went for like 60 plus yards on a third down against Arkansas where he hit the A-gap and he hit it hard and he showed pretty good bursts through the A gap. And then there was this linebacker who thought he had him all timed up and he just outran him. And then he took it for over 60 yards and a touchdown out running like four SEC defenders. And I would agree, I don't think he's necessary he's not a burner by any stretch of the imagination. I would have probably thought he would run like a four, you know, five nine around a four-six. I think he ran like a four-six-eight or something like that. But I didn't necessarily think he was going to be or he was overly deficient in this either. I don't think he's as fast as hall or kenneth walker and that's one of the reasons why i do have him at three but there were a couple plays on tape specifically in those two games that were early on in the season where i felt like he was challenging angles and i also think he's more athletic in tight spaces with that one cut ability where he has that lateral agility i don't i don't want to come off like i think he's this great athlete because i don't but I, i don't necessarily think he's the worst athlete at this position either
2: yeah. It's, everybody sees it differently, which is, which is the fun part of draft season. And when I watch, I, I, I just, I think the burst is there, the initial burst is there. And I think he's really decisive and he does a good job processing. It's more so when he's in space a few times that really stood out to me is when they threw to him in the flat and he has one guy to make miss in the flat and he just like quick sand with his feet. And then for me, on those some of those longer runs, he got there with the, with the decisiveness, with the good processing and with the quick burst. And then when you watch him kind of get, try to get to the end zone, it's it's a, it almost looks like a struggle to me. I I thought at one point I was watching on 0.8 speed. Like I changed the speed of my, of my YouTube videos to be honest. Cause sometimes I watch videos on different speeds for depending on what I'm trying to watch. Um, I don't know. I just I just didn't see it. That, that, and that was, you know, I had to go through a lot of different games that I found on YouTube as well, because we didn't have that many to go from from our all 22 standpoint. So some of this was, you know, not that was not the same. It was it was a different angle, obviously, when you're not looking at it from the all 22 angle. We we have what we can use from the all 22, but I oftentimes find myself trying to find more from these guys. And so I'll go to YouTube and some people put up, you know, individual games from there. And yeah. I think with the running back position, you could see it, especially if you're looking for those specific traits, the athleticism traits, to me at least, he doesn't have the athleticism to translate to the next level. That's just my take, and and I'm happy that, we, you know, it's fun to not be in agreement on all of these, I think.
1: Yeah, and I, would, I don't think you're ridiculous. I don't think he's going to be a huge difference-making athletic type of back. I think he can come in and be a part of a timeshare, somebody that you spend like a fourth-round pick on. That's probably where I'm at with him now i think a lot of other people have him valued a little bit higher but with the slow forty and everything he's probably going to go where maybe third round ish probably
2: i would make a bet with you if you were if you were willing that he will not be drafted in the third round
1: okay i mean i'm not willing cuz i'm not like that <laughs> i'll oh, give you i'll
2: give you, how about yeah. this how about this i'll give you i'll give you all the fourth round
1: I'm still not sure. I'm not going to bet on somebody who doesn't necessarily yeah. look overly fast on film and ran a four six eight forty.
2: Yeah, I can't see the NFL teams taking this dude before fifth round, but we'll see. We'll see because, like you said, he does a lot of the things well. And it, it, all it takes is one team to be like, well, we could put him in our scheme, and he's going to process that fast, and he's going to do well with it. But I don't know. That 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 athleticism, to me, it, it's scary, at least to me. But let's get to my RB3, because he's someone who you have as your RB4, so it's fun to talk about. We're not going to go too deep into him, because we're ready to profile him, but it's James Cook out of Georgia. To me, like I was saying before, yes, I see a teardrop from the first two, but— I honestly think Cook can be that weapon in your offense that kind of is like your Alvin Kamara if you can figure out the right way to use him and you have the right infrastructure around him like the Saints had that was important for Kamara's breakout. He's not Kamara. I want to make that clear. But he also has some things in my mind, at least from the inside running standpoint, that are in some ways better than Kamara. I think he's in some ways a better processor and inside runner in some ways with his vision than Kamara is finding those right cutback lanes. I think he can be used as a weapon in the passing game, like Camaro was. And ultimately, I think when you have him on your offense, you're forcing defenses to account for speed. You're forcing defenses to account for another weapon in the passing game. This time, out of the backfield or in motion, in different ways that force you to get different defensive eyes moving in one direction. And then you could use it as misdirection to throw to another player, or in some ways, uh, kind of to you to to use him as a decoy. Or just somebody else to account for it when he's on the field versus some of these other backs. That I just don't think are going to be that guy. They're not going to be accounted for. That's why when I was coming back and forth between him and Pierce as my RB three, I was like, ultimately I feel like cook is a bigger weapon at the NFL level than somebody like Pierce, even though he's not a more complete back by any means. And at this point I'm looking for weapons at the running back position. I'm looking for that skill set. So James cooks, my RB three, he's your RB four. Anything else you want to say on him that we didn't cover now or in the draft profile?
1: No, I really like James Cook. We kind of hit everything in the profile, though. So let's get on to the next running back, which I guess I'll go into my – or no, let's go into your running back four, which I guess we already kind of touched on. Yeah,
2: we did a profile on him, too. It's Damon Pierce. Uh, I don't think there's too much more to say on him. I do think he's a very complete back. I feel like, to me, he's like Kenneth walker Lite. He's your discount Kenneth Walker. He's somebody you can get maybe 50, 60, 70 picks later, and he's not the same player by any means. That's why he's the discount version, but – it gives you a lot of what, what you'll you'll be getting with a player like Walker and, and potentially even more in the passing game. Are you not worried about his speed at all? Oh, I'm definitely worried about his speed, but to me, he has more lateral. he has considerably, at least from what I saw on film, considerably more lateral agility than Spiller.
1: Okay. I mean that that's fair. I, I like Damon Pierce. He's not in my top five. I think that he's somebody who was underutilized at Florida, and that's probably definitely uh, something that helped get Dan Mullen fired. <laughs> <there>. <laughs> but that's uh your fourth so i'll go right into my fifth and i feel like this is one of the backs who is one of the more complete backs in this draft and it, he's not exciting at any one thing but i feel like he is good at a lot of different things and that is alabama's brian robinson jr again he's not somebody who's going to be the fastest but he's physical i feel like he is I would say a solid receiver. He's not a dynamic one. He's not James Cook, but I feel like he can go out there, catch a flare pass, break a tackle, and and fall for a couple yards. He's probably not going to run too many diverse route trees like some of these other running backs can. But I do think you put him out there, you put him in pass protection, and he's going to be reliable. He's going to be smart. He knows how to pick up blitz blitzes and all of that. I feel like he also has the active feet, the vision and everything that you want. He has good one cut ability and he's a physical at six foot one, 226 pounds. So my fifth best running back is somebody who's not necessarily dynamic, but good at a lot of different things. And that's Brian Robinson, who was brought in for a top 30 visit by the New York Giants.
2: Yeah, he was, and there's also hidden upside with Robinson because he played behind, like he played behind another big recruit from his class at the running back position, and kind of never had the chance to fully become that RB one st- uh, you know, for Bama that big lead back. He, I went back and forth between him and the guy I ultimately chose for my RB five, and my decision was just kind of based on the upside here, just taking a swing. I want to bet on traits at the running back position, especially once I get down to RB five. Which for me, if I were a GM. I'm taking this range of running back, the RB five, six, seven range on in round four or later anyway. So I'm my, to me, I might as well swing for upside and and base and bet on the traits. And that's Rashad white out of Arizona state. That's a bet on traits guy for me. I watch his film and I see someone who (laughs) needs a lot of work probably when it comes to like running behind a typical or a traditional NFL running game, but and 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 sometimes he doesn't trust what he sees, I think, and tries to bounce it outside a little too much, which is a little worrisome. But the traits are there for the projection to the next level. He ran a four four eight at six foot two fifteen. To me, he plays even bigger than that. Looks even bigger than that. But really, to me, it's the explosiveness that gets me excited. It's that ability to shift his body weight with the lateral agility, redirect it, and then move it in a different direction that gets linebackers either you know forced to. And not just linebackers, any second or third level defender forced to come off balance or forced to try to make a tackle at a different angle where that, that he'll shed. 86th percentile vertical jump, 87th percentile broad jump. This is an absolute freak at 215 pounds from a lateral agility and an explosiveness standpoint. In addition to having 85th percentile hand size, 60th percentile uh, arm length, and 65th percentile wingspan, which I think can project him Some to project to somewhat help him at least in the receiving game. And he showed some flashes in the receiving game. He's obviously raw there as well. This is purely a traits-based bet for me, Nick, but I I have Rashad White in as my RB5.
1: Dude, I love Rashad White. I'm a little upset I couldn't squeeze him into my top five, to be honest, bro. Like, you watch his game against USC. He had this long touchdown run. It must have been like 50 yards or something like that, where the – it's like a kind of like an outside zone run, I believe. And he hits this hole and the linebacker's right there to meet him. And he plants his outside foot so freaking hard into the ground and then jukes towards the middle of the field where there's no defenders and just outruns a bunch of bunch of dudes to the end zone for a touchdown. That is Very, very good athletic ability in a short, confined area. And I feel like he has that short area quickness and all of the bursts and explosiveness you want in a running back. I feel like he does run maybe a little bit too high at times. And I think you're also right in terms of vision and patience and kind of all those nuanced things uh, in terms of being a running back. I think they are a little raw, but if you're betting on the traits, there's few running backs that you want to bet on that are more alive than Rashad White out of Arizona State.
2: I love that, and I love the the knock you got. You know, the, the extra not knock the concern. He does run a little too high, which is which is concerning. I think for the next level, true. It's just kind of when you get to that range of the draft, uh, I'm okay taking uh, you know a bet on somebody who has some concerns, maybe. So let's dive into some of your sleepers before we go round by round. So give me your top sleeper in this class at the running back position, if you have one. My top sleeper in the class almost made it into my top five, and
1: I Ooh. love this running back. So much, and no one's talking about him, and that is George's Zamir White. He shared a backfield with James cook. And the reason why he isn't talked about with some of these other backs is because he was in a timeshare, but it's also because he had two ACL surgeries when he left high school, basically going into college. So those were ACL surgeries that happened a while ago. He's never had a huge workload because he was always in a heavy timeshare. But when you watch this dude run, he's about six foot, 215 pounds. You watch him run, dude, he runs people over. Still, And he doesn't look all that big or all that bulky like maybe a Kenneth Walker does, but he's just very physical. He is always falling forward. And I also feel like there's no wasted steps and he has all the vision and the patience that you need while also having that gritty, I'm going to run through your face type of mentality. And I think he's a good receiver and he can pass protect if you ask him to. I like Zamir White. Out of Georgia, I am concerned about those injuries, but I feel like a lot of people aren't talking about him and we're just talking about the skills, the on the field play. He's one of the better backs in this class. You have to weigh in the medical.
2: Love this call by you with Zamir White, Nick, because he's my number two sleeper. And ultimately the second running back, I would most want the Giants to draft when you consider what well, i'll get to eventually but i'll say now and i cuz i already teased it i don't really want them to go running back in round 3 cuz i just think there's too many other positions i'm still going to like in round 3 and there's enough running backs in round 3 i well, sorry round 4 and on that i do like him being one of them, he's my number two sleeper. For him, for me, the only reason he's not number one is because of the injuries. And that's obviously why he's dropping that in the timeshare. But those are also reasons to take a bet and take a swing on someone in round four when that's what's holding him back. I think he has the best chance, Nick. I'm curious to get your take on this. The best chance of anyone in this class to reach that Hall Walker complete back tier, besides obviously Hall Walker. What are your take? What's your take on that?
1: hundred percent. I mean, this is somebody who was highly regarded coming out of co- or high school. He was a five-star recruit. Everybody tried to get him, but then he had the injuries. George is still honored. Him and he went there and he was a big part of why they won this national championship this past year in a timeshare it was him, James Cook, and then another back. But dude, you watch his tape. Yeah, he had a play against Auburn where he was tackled dead to rights in the backfield on a third and two play. And he just sheds this linebacker's tackle and then plows forward through a bunch of arm tackles and takes it to the house for about 10 yards. It wasn't a long run. But a lot of people are concerned, like, oh man, you know, Zamir White, he's you know, those two ACLs, they zapped his athletic ability. Show me the tape where it's his athletic ability because I don't see it whatsoever this is somebody who is smart physical he knows how to tempo his rushes behind the line of scrimmage to use that patience to get linebackers to kind of bite into the hole and then he finds the opposite hole where that linebacker was supposed to be and then hits the run that way man he's just very very adept I would say in terms of adjusting his rushing path and I just feel like we should be talking about him more
2: Damn, you just got me so jacked up about Zamir White to the point where he may now be my number one number one sleeper slash target for the Giants at this position in this draft. The guy I want them to draft most it's because of the upside. It's because of I kind of agree completely with you. I don't see how the ACL tears are are a concern from an athleticism standpoint. I do see how they're concerned from a longevity standpoint, maybe, or from a reoccurring injury standpoint, maybe lower body continue build up those types of injuries you don't like to see. But you're not really drafting these guys for to be long term fixtures at least in my mind at the running back i think your best strategy at this position as a franchise is to keep cycling them out every four years and draft multiples in, within those four years so you have two three backs you can lean on and never you know overwork any of them and then just keep cycling through that and getting more fresh talent at a position that has no shelf life when it comes to average age i mean now especially now that peterson and gore are retired adrian peterson gore that's gonna that average age is gonna drop drastically um those were really the only reasons that it was that it was even held up to the mid twenties, I think I saw it as low as 27.3 at at one point last year, the average age in the NFL running back, which is by far and away, you know, the, the, the youngest in the NFL. So I really like that call. My number one sleeper here, Nick is a guy who's getting literally no buzz at all. And I just found him recently when watching tape of another player on his team, because I was trying to figure out the giants were interested in said player. And I wanted to just at least do like one or two games of watching him to make sure that there's not like, potential top five, top 10 upside from him, and I'm missing it. And that player was quarterback Sam Howe at North Carolina, which helped me find running back Ty Chandler, who transferred to North Carolina from Tennessee. And man, when I watch Chandler, I don't get the same, just the same feel I got from Herbert last year because Herbert was such a different runner. He ran low to the ground. He reminded me a lot of Tiki Barber. His burst was unreal. That burst from Khalil Herbert. You see it at the, you saw it last year with the Bears. It translated immediately. But Chandler has a few other traits that really, really intrigue me. He has real, legitimate, long stride speed. This is a player who when he gets in the open field, can eliminate angles from safeties. He tested well with it at the combine when he ran a 4-3-8. That is real 4-3-8 speed. That was 95th percentile among running backs, and it is exactly as it looks when you watch his tape. There was a run that he had, I believe, trying to remember now the, the game this was from because I'm forgetting it now. The Notre, the Notre Dame game. There was a run he had when Notre Dame was in uh, middle field closed look and, and they had a safety at top I was hoping it was Kyle Hamilton, Nick, just because it would have been even more impressive. It wasn't Hamilton. It was their other safety at the top there. But he eliminated an angle there to take a run to the house. That was so impressive. And then you watch him run the wheel route against Duke from earlier in their season last year. My God, this kid, once he catches the wheel, he looks so smooth catching the wheel, and then he takes it to the house and beats a safety angle that he shouldn't beat because he has the actual long speed. What I also like about his game, he is a real big-time threat as a receiver, and he could translate to the next level. He has 86th percentile arm length and 68th percentile wingspan, and he had to catch up the seam against Wake Forest. That was freakish level athleticism. He had to adjust to an off-target throw from Howell, who, by the way, just a give a little spoiler there no i didn't see anything (laughs) i i I love her i I went back and watched a little how it's not someone i want the giants to take a chance on really to be honest but anyway back to Chandler here sorry they got a little sidebar there the play he made to adjust to that pass against wake forest to high point it up the seam really impressive stuff he's a little tall for a running back for what i like He's, he's just under six foot but he does have the ability in my mind from the tape i saw to make those, to get in and out of his cuts really smooth. There's a, there's very few wasted movement. He does a good job with his jump cut and he does a good job with his vision, kind of letting his block set up and then cutting and jumping, jump cutting into different lanes that give him a chance to, to run. I, I he did run out of that, you know, UNC scheme, which is very shotgun heavy, which I remember Barkley kind of ran out of when he was with Moorhead at Penn State, which scares me just a little bit, just because it's so unorthodox and so different from what he'll be running out of with the giants or any NFL team. But the traits that he has, the long strides, the long speed, the ability as a receiver, and just that vision and patience and quick-cutting ability, I love what I see. And there's examples on film of him doing a good job of breaking tackles. People try to tackle him by the waist, and he's done a really good job from the games I saw of shaking off the waist tackles. And, and and obviously, that's not p- the biggest trait in his game, but he has that ability as well. So to me, he's my number one sleeper in this draft, and he's the player I would want the Giants to, to draft most from this position, especially because you're going to be able to get him in round five, probably
1: unfortunately i haven't seen ty chandler yet which sucks so i'm gonna have to get to his film because you gave him a glowing review and i trust your judgment with this but i'm gonna get into my next sleeper and i think this is somebody you're quite familiar with just because he's a big 10 running back and that is hassan haskins out of michigan i watched this dude really really early on just because you know his name was buzzing because harbaugh and the michigan wolverines finally beat ohio state and a lot of that was a product of hassan haskins and i feel like this is the the excellent type of running back that you would want to draft in those middle rounds like round four or five if you're trying to find somebody who can run in between the tackles might not be overly dynamic as a receiver but somebody who you can put out there on third down and he's not going to be a complete liability but just a physical hard-nosed runner with good size overall thickness knows how to lower his shoulder and finish strong through runs maybe a little bit more of a power back than an elusive back but he's not absolutely deficient with his footwork and how quick he can be with his jump cut and his jukes and stuff like that so I kind of liked what I saw from Hassan Haskins
2: yeah Haskins is a good call I'm not I I guess I would say I'm not as super high on him as you translate to the next level I guess just from the speed athleticism standpoint but I can see why why you like him a lot like I I even went back because I saw you I knew you liked him anyway and then I saw you put him in your sleeper so I went back and watched a game that just one from the past season that that I remembered I wanted to watch and I see what you like. I mean, he he's a professional runner. He gets what's there for him, block there for him. He's really tough between the tackles. He's I think he's someone who you can draft and and almost I almost feel like in some ways to me he reminds me a little bit. I'm curious if you see this at all because he's not the same receiver as him, but he reminds me in some ways of Wayne Gallman. Do you see that at all? So I
1: think Gallman, like you said, has a little bit more upside as a receiver. I think Haskins yeah. might be better in pass protection. Yeah, I think that's
2: right. spot on that right there, that's yeah. spot on what you just said.
1: But I also think Gallman might have had just 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 a tad more
2: juice than I think than he Haskins. had a tad more juice than Haskins too. Yeah. Yeah. But
1: I, I and I love Gallman because he would fall through contact too. I think Haskins might have just a little bit more of the physicality and the contact balance. Although that's I do true. think Although I do think Gallman was pretty solid in that area. And when you look at Gallman, that's not something that jumped out to me just looking at him. He didn't seem like somebody who would fall through contact consistently. But Gallman did a pretty good job doing that when he was a New York Giant.
2: Yeah, I think it's the contact balance. Um, and that, that reminds me the most of Gallman, but mostly what reminds me, the, or side, that reminds me some of Gallman, I should say. But what reminds me the most of him is just that quick, decisive uh, running ability and trying to, you yeah. know, that side where you want to go with it and just go forward and get vertical which I like, I just, to me, I'm not, I wouldn't, I typically as a GM, if I ever had this ability, wouldn't my, my place my bets on that translating to the next level on those style backs. I think so- they can be a value of you, the Gallmans, the bookers, the hat, the Haskins of the world. But I just feel like that's not the bet that those are not the bets. that That's not what I'm looking for. And those are, I, those are not the bets that I would place. I'm hoping when I'm making these picks that I can find the, you know, the next level athlete that just translates that type
1: um- of thing. I was just about to say that, and I don't want to skip over your sleeper, but I'm going to bring up one of my sleepers. That is a Dan Schneier running back. I hope you saw him, and that is Jerome Ford out of Cincinnati. I have
2: not had a chance to watch any of Ford, which is disappointing because I feel like he would have been on my list otherwise, and I couldn't put him here in good faith because I haven't watched him at all.
1: No, dude, you that that's Jerome Ford. He is a fast, lightning bolt, bro. He had a couple runs against Houston where it was even beyond just – it was beyond just I'm fast and I'm going to outrun you. He showed those subtleties that we were talking about. He had this one run against Houston. and went for like 50 yards or something like that and went for like a touchdown where he ran into the C gap and there was a tight end there, I believe. And he got this safety to come down so hard and he just stuttered just a little bit to allow the block in front of him to happen. And then the safety was biting down into that gap. He just bounced it right outside. And the angle that he created for this safety to try and turn and make the tackle was way too much when you look at the speed that Ford has and those little things, man, the cat and mouse game between a second level defender and a running back is a huge part of playing the running back position. And that's something, and I didn't watch a lot of them. I've only seen a couple games from, but every game that I've seen, he maximized his elite athletic ability by setting up those blocks. So well, I think he is a great steal on day three. If he falls that far,
2: I'm going to have to take a look at Ford Then clearly uh, in the meantime, I'll get to my next sleeper, which is somebody we already mentioned, Rashad White. He's also in my top five at number five, but we've kind of got, already gone over why he's another sleeper or why why we like, why I like him, I, sh- I should say. And Nick also liked him, by the way. If you Obviously, you heard that. You just listened. So why don't we get to your next sleeper, another player who, unfortunately, I haven't had a chance to watch much of.
1: Yeah, so Tyler Beatty, I believe is how you pronounce it. He's another one who's quick. He's undersized. He's about like 5'7", five, 5'8", five, about 195 pounds, I think. Maybe he was 199 at the combine. I think he is the knockoff James Cook. I've heard somebody make that comparison. I think it was Brugler. And then I watched Beatty's tape, and I actually saw that as well. If a team wants to get James Cook and they, don't, and they can't get him, you can get Beatty somewhere in the – on the third day of the draft. Somebody else who just has a ton of explosive plays playing in Missouri's system. I just feel like he uses that small height to his advantage because he's so difficult to find behind bigger backs. He's very, very smooth, has smooth agility, good long speed, excellent burst through the hole, has that one cut ability. I don't think it's as dynamic as some of the other backs we've went over. Neither is his patience, but he has enough patience to allow blocks to kind of develop. Also felt like he was really efficient with his feet. You get him in in the space, he's very, very elusive. And He's a little bit lean for me. He's not going to be the the kind of pile mover that you want at the running back position. And I also saw some miscommunications on his tape where the quarterback would go into the mesh point and Beatty was running in the opposite direction. Could have been on the quarterback, but typically it's probably more than likely on the running back. I don't know if that's safe to assume or not, but I did like him just in general, in terms of that third down scat back that you can find on day three, who can be a receiving weapon for you. Interesting.
2: That's a, you know, that's a player I'm going to have to watch too, because just from the profile you gave, he does sound somewhat familiar to me as far as that burst, as far as that ability to use his leverage to his strength of Khalil Herbert, who I love from the last class. And obviously I have, I don't, you, you watch those two, so you can tell me if that's completely off, but at least from those two traits, it sounds pretty familiar. And I do love those running backs who are short because I think it gives them an advantage.
1: Yeah, I think I'd probably have Herbert a little bit ahead of Beatty because I feel like Herbert was a little bit more physical than him. But I do like Beatty in his own right for all the reasons I listed before.
2: Just speaking of somebody like Cleobert, just to give you an idea of when he was picked, just because I think that kind of gives us a scope of where you can get some of these sleepers. He was picked 217 overall by the Bears. The Giants' last pick in this class is 182. So, Or was it 181 or 182? I go... 182 yeah their final pick of this draft so i think they'll have a chance at a great sleeper potential running back at that and that gets me my last guy who's now getting some hype may not be there but may still be there the hype right now means so little like if you see these guys get hyped on twitter or hyped on whatever you use to follow your draft coverage it doesn't really matter these teams are making boards so independent of the buzz that you that people are getting on twitter or not so i just don't think that matters unless you hear it from teams but it is Pierre Strong, the running back out of South Dakota State. Again, for me, when you get this late into the draft, day three into rounds four, five, six, seven, whatever it may be, because those guys, because these guys can all come off the board in any of that range, depending on how much a team loves a player. Bet on traits: five foot 11, 207, 95th percentile, four three seven forty yard dash, ninety first percentile, one point five second, ten yard split. That shows the burst. That shows the ability to get downhill fast if he wants to. 79 percentile arm length and seventy third percentile wingspan, which I like, by the way, for potentially projecting as a receiving threat, but then also the 84th percentile broad jump and 71st percentile 36, uh, 36 inch vertical jump just has all the traits you want from the explosiveness, long speed, burst and potential wingspan for a receiving option. If you can translate and learn that and get better at that, I just think when you're taking a, a running back and on day three bet on the traits and this guy has all the traits.
1: In terms of trades, dude, there's one other guy I kind of want to bring up to you. Now, this isn't yeah. somebody who I feel like is a between-the-tackle runner. I feel like he, he has really, really tiny hands. I don't know how many fumbles he's had, but that is something because Isaiah Spiller also has tiny hands, and he has somewhat of a fumbling issue. But this Abram Smith from Baylor – He's somebody that if you get him the football in space, he'll make you pay. And there's also Travis Ebner, who is more of, I think, a kick returner, who is also Baylor. So you've just been talking about athletic traits and traits in general. I feel like both of those Baylor running backs are players that could appease you. So maybe go check out that film. Again, though, with Smith, he's not necessarily someone who's going to be between the tackle too much. But you get him out, you know, outside, off of a tight end, off the D-gap, get him going, man. He has that juice and that burst through the hole that is uh, pretty impressive.
2: Love it. And that'll give me an excuse to watch more Taekwon Thornton too, which I always enjoy doing. Uh, so let's get into where we take some of these guys. So let's start with, we don't need to start with five and seven or 36 because we're not taking any of these players at any of those spots. Correct, Nick.
1: Yeah. I'm not taking any at 67 either, to be honest.
2: I'm not taking any at 67 either, which is interesting because even if hall or Walker falls, I am not taking either at 67. Your thoughts on that.
1: No, I think that's good to be honest. I think, okay. um, I, I think there's just going to be too much talent
2: there in other positions. Okay, how about at eighty-one with the second third-round pick?
1: So at eighty-one, I think I'm comfortable with Hall and Walker, and I guess the other two as well, Spiller and James Cook. It depends. Okay. Yeah, I, th- I think I would be comfortable. It all depends on who's there though, and that's hard to tell. Like if one of the tight, if the Giants didn't go tight end yet, and McBride or Rucker are there, I think I would prefer them over the running backs, maybe not Hall or Walker, but definitely the uh, latter two.
2: I mean, what about like a, just throwing a name at it. What if like Dylan Parham is there? Dylan, I Parham. like Dylan
1: Parham from what I, from what I've seen from Dylan Parham. I think well, I'd like rather. Luke
2: Fortner. Are you taking these guys over? The, are you taking those guys who are maybe worse prospects overall BPA wise, but play a position that could be of more. importance? No,
1: Absolutely not. Not with the depth and some of the running backs that you can get later. And the fact that Joe Shane might go with the committee approach like he did in Buffalo. And if that's the case, I'd rather just build up all of the other positions and then get somebody a little bit later in the draft at of value.
2: Yeah. I'm with you as well. When it comes to this pick while I'll sit here and say what Nick said, I'll take any of the top two. And then for me, I'd also take James cook with the Camara type potential probably at 81. It's not a lock. That just means we're comfortable and we might do it. It doesn't mean their run to the podium picks, despite me thinking Brees Hall is definitely one of the eighty-one best players in this class, but it doesn't matter. He's a running back that has to be considered. And honestly, if Luke Fortner's there, or and you know a lot of these players that I like, we can get into that when we talk interior offensive linemen. Probably going to prefer an interior offensive lineman, and the same goes for players that might be there that some people don't think would like. There's a chance like a Chad movement might be there. There's a chance like, even like a Troy Anderson, I'd probably take a chance on at that pick or a Channing Tindall if he falls if, if people don't like him as much for whatever reason. There's just going to be potential off-ball linebacker, potential interior offensive lineman, maybe a tight end, maybe a receiver for damn sure. There could easily be a receiver there that is not ranked as high as Brees Hall, maybe, but. Offers, uh, you know, in relative to the receivers, but to me, offers a better path for the Giants because of what we've already discussed at running back. So it's kind of where we're at there. How about at one twelve? Where does just where does it expand at one twelve for you? It's probably like the same, and I think I would throw okay. Brian Robinson into the situation as well. I'll probably be comfortable taking any of my top five there, and that includes Damien Pierce and Rashad White at one twelve. And then once you get to one forty seven, one seventy three, and one eighty two, I feel like you could just say any of the sleepers. But the ones that I think we would probably put as our top guys there. Like the like a perfect draft for me is if that 147, 173, or 182, the Giants get either Zamir White or for me it would be Ty Chandler as well.
1: Yeah, or Damon Pierce. I mean, geez, if he ends up falling.
2: Right. He could <laughs> fall. Like you never know. That's true. And that that I don't think Cook can, but I do think Pierce can, if that makes sense. Like those are two of the more hyped guys. But I don't think that Cook can fall.
1: I don't think Cook will fall either. Whereas Pierce, you you can, if you're an NFL team, you could talk into reasons as to why Pierce would fall because of of
2: where you can do translation standpoint
1: that and you can do the same with cook but cook's swiss army knife ability is going to be very very appealing but i will say this about pierce and we talked about this in the podcast man he has some receiving ability dude yeah you using him on like seam routes and angles and stuff like that so i think that's another interesting wrinkle to his game
2: so does my boy chai chandler by the way i'm excited for you to watch i'm curious to get your take we'll talk off pot about that though this is it for the running back position preview thank you for tuning into the big blue bander podcast have a great rest of your week and we'll talk to you soon